Hello, grandchildren. This is Mima. I thought it would be fun to read a chapter book. I've been reading a lot of books for little children, but I thought、um, one with a more of a story would be fun for you. So I found a book called *The Secret Lake* by Karen Inglis. It looks like a really good book. It's about a dog and a hidden time tunnel and a secret lake and、um, a boy and a girl named Stella and Tom. Who find this tunnel, and they find children living there a hundred years in the past. So they go back in time. It'll be fun to see what happens in the story. So snuggle up, and I'll start reading. Chapter One: The Gardener. Tom's face felt so hot he was sure it was about to explode. The midday sun beat down mercilessly on his back, and the beads of sweat that had long since formed on his forehead began to itch and tickle. But still he dug on. Surely, if he kept going, there would be a sign—a tuft of silky fur, perhaps, a distant squeak, or—and this really would be the best—a pair of tiny eyes squinting blindly up toward the daylight. He paused to wipe the trickling sweat with the back of his wrist. Then he lifted his spade for what felt like the one hundredth time, just as a dark shadow loomed up from behind. A familiar chill traveled down his spine, as with heart pounding, he swiveled around to meet the piercing stare of the gardener, Charlie Green. Now look here, Tom Hawkins. I told you before. I've had enough trouble chasing up these darn molehills without having you going around digging 'em up. Tom felt his cheeks burning, which was odd because his body was freezing. Charlie Green had had it in for him since the day they had moved into the gardens. Of that he was sure. He was always giving him funny looks. Tom tried to speak, but his throat, which suddenly felt drier than the Sahara at noon, stuck tight. He never had been brilliant at getting out of trouble; just expert at getting into it. Charlie Green, Green squinted darkly. Next time, I'll have to tell your mum. He growled. Now take that rag of yours and be off. Tom fumbled as he gathered up the corners of the treasure rag. To his relief, Charlie Green hadn't noticed the array of plant bulbs he had dug up, which now lay scattered in amongst the earth, his earth treasures. Three handsome stones, a piece of broken green bottle. And a tatty old purse that had probably belonged to a child's doll. The stones he would keep and place in his box marked Tom's earth treasures, which sat on the grate of the enormous bedroom fireplace. Everything else he would throw back. By the time he nudged open the small gate separating his parents' small patio from the main communal gardens, Charlie Green had already refilled the moleholes, and was now stomping angrily across the lawns towards his shed. Clusters of tiny earth mounds lay scattered all around. It had been a bad week for the moles in West London. Tom's heart still took off every time he entered his first-floor bedroom. After his tiny room in their tenth-floor Hong Kong apartment, it really was a dream come true. His ceiling reached high, like a private indoor sky. The narrow French doors opening onto the tiny sun-filled balcony stood tall as skyscrapers. 
on the far wall and a magnificent fireplace stood even taller than he was. But more important than all of these things was the view. Tom's new room looked out onto a vast rambling garden that stretched as far as the eye could see. The garden, which was shared by all of the houses in the square, was filled with clusters of rhododendron bushes and sprawling oak trees whose branches seemed to brush the passing clouds. Tom pressed his nose hard against the French door window and breathed in deeply, still wondering about Charlie Green. Then, through his clouds of warm breath on the glass, he saw a small dog shoot out from a cluster of trees and race across the lawns toward the houses. Slowly, Tom's mouth widened in a grin. I don't believe it, Stell, he yelled at the top of his voice. Harry's back. Stella, who was lying on her bed in her room next door, studying her friendship bracelet, didn't answer. With her iPhone music on full volume, she was busy hoping that her friends back in Hong Kong, who would all be asleep now, had thought about her today. She also happened to be crunching on her fifth fruit polo of the day, lime green flavored to be precise, the one that always made her ears tingle. Tom thinks he's in heaven, she had just messaged to her friend Hannah on the Facebook, but it's so deathly dull here. All molehill and boys. Stella didn't budge. Not for that matter did Tom, who was now leaning out so far of his balcony, he was in danger of falling off. He was determined to see if old Mrs. Moon would be at her gate to welcome her disappearing dog. Of course she wasn't. After all, she would have to be a psychic to know exactly when Harry would choose to come home. Never mind psychic, all the garden residents thought Mrs. Moon was batty. Her lost dog notices were pinned up everywhere, and she drove them all mad, phoning them up each time Harry went off, which was often for days at a time. Tom had found himself wondering about Harry when he was out digging. The little long-haired terriers coming and going seemed to be part of the garden life, as did the snarling Charlie Green and the Mohills, and, of course, the dotty old Mrs. Moon. But why did the dog keep disappearing? And exactly where did he go? As thoughts of Charlie Green quickly evaporated, Tom resolved to solve Harry's mystery by summer's end. Chapter 2 Beneath the Mound I wonder where Harry's gone this time, Stella murmured as the sound of her mother's piano playing wafted through the morning breeze. Harry had been missing for almost a week and Mrs. Moon was beside herself. As a result, so were most of the garden residents. Tom and Stella were sitting on their favorite mound of grass on the island. The island was a cluster of four oak trees in the center of the garden skirted by rhododendron bushes. Stella twirled her friendship bracelet, a present from Hannah when they had left Hong Kong. Neither time nor distance will break our bond, Hannah had said dramatically when she'd given it to her, how much those words meant now. I wonder where Harry goes every time, Tom said with a frown as he picked up a mound of grass with his trowel. Don't do that, snapped Stella. If Charlie Green catches you, you'll be... Hey, what's this? Tom locked, eyes locked open as he sat staring between his legs at the ground. What's what? Stella leaned forward 
as Tom continued scraping grass off the top of the mound beneath. I think it's a real treasure, he shrieked. Surely enough, as Tom carried on digging and his eyes continued to widen underneath, they could see what looked like the rounded lid of a wooden container, a real treasure chest. Suddenly, Stella clutched Tom's arm. Ouch, let go, will you? He squealed. Shh, his Stella sitting bold upright and staring ahead. The bushes opposite rustled. Stella and Tom sat still as statues. If Charlie Green appeared now, they were done for. Must have been a bird, whispered Tom, finally letting out a breath. The bush was still again. He looked down and carried on digging. It's a box and it's got grooves on the lid, he gasped. The rounded lid of the treasure chest seemed to go on forever as the patch Tom dug grew wider and wider. And then Stella's pale blue eyes widened. Tom, she whispered in disbelief. It's not a box, it's a boat. A boat, said Tom. It can't be a boat, stupid. There's no water around here. At that moment, the bush opposite trembled violently. They really had had it this time. They knew Charlie Green's breathless snort anywhere. He was probably crawling through the undergrowth to take them by surprise. Then, with a final sharp rustle, the leaves ahead parted and out into the clearing appeared Harry. Harry, they cried. He's soaking, exclaimed Stella. Harry took one look at Tom and Stella and then towards home and fled. Wait, Harry. Tom began to take chase, but it was too late. Harry streaked like lightning out past the rhododendron bushes and across the sun-drenched lawn. Mrs. Moon didn't know it yet, but she was in for a very pleasant surprise. Tom, come back. Tom gave up his chase about halfway across the lawn, just as their mother's voice echoed across the garden. Tom, Stella, come on, we're leaving. Help me with this. Stella was dragging a log across the lawn towards the mound. If Charlie Green finds this mess, we'll be grounded outdoors for a week. Tom looked despondent. He had just unearthed the greatest treasure of his digging career, and here he was being told that he had to cover it up again. But I want to get to the boat. I want to get the boat out, he protested. We haven't got time. We're going to Grandma, she said Stella breathlessly. Quick, take that end. They shuffled three or four steps sideways and lowered the log down on top of the mound. Tom stepped back and kicked the log in frustration. Look, said Stella firmly, it's no use making a fuss now. We'll come back tomorrow and see if we can find out where Harry came from. Tom's face twisted into a puzzled frown. What do you mean by that? Well, said Stella, tearing at the wrapper of her sweet packet. Where there's a boat, there must be water. She popped open an orange polo into her mouth and raised her eyebrows in excitement. I think Harry knows where the water is, and it's somewhere around here. Chapter 3, Dawn Escape Funny enough, it was Stella who had trouble sleeping that night. Tom, in his room next door, was out like a light the moment his head touched the pillow. A boat, whispered Stella repeatedly. How on earth could it have got there? 
And why was Harry soaked to the skin? She was thinking how first thing tomorrow they would have a good scout around in the bushes when a hollow clank from somewhere outside made her sit up. The clock at her bedside read 5 a.m. She must have fallen asleep. Still thinking about Harry, she crept from her bed to her window. The sun hadn't risen in the garden, was bathed in gray early morning mist. Nothing. It must have been a dream. But then, as she was about to drop the back the curtains, the clanking echoed again. Stella peered to the right in the direction it seemed to have come from. A high-pitched squeak, followed by another clank. Then, through the dim light half-light, she spotted Harry, trotting across the lawn in the direction of the island. The clanking must have been him trying to nudge open Mrs. Moon's patio garden gate. Tom, quick, wake up. Stella tugged violently at Tom's pajamas. What? Where's the mole? Get it off me. Oh, wake up, will you snap? She snapped in a whisper. Tom sat up in a damp sweat. He had been dreaming that a friendly mole had just started to attack him. What's going on? He mumbled as his sister's face loomed in front of him in the dark. It's Harry. He's gone off again. I've just seen him. Tom immediately woke right up, then fell on the floor as he tried to jump out of bed. Let's get after him, he squealed, driving, diving for his dressing gown. Moments later, they stood at the top of the hallway stairs. Quietly, mouthed Stella, glaring like a schoolteacher. Slowly, they crept down, then put on their trainers. Trainers are tennis shoes, by the way and slipped outside into the gray morning air. Come on, we haven't got much time, Stella whispered. She grasped Tom's hand, and together they raced across the grass towards the island, wearing only their pajamas, dressing gowns, and trainers. Drat, we've missed him, said Stella. They had hunted around the island for a good five minutes. All was still, and there was no sign of Harry. But at least the log was still in place, which meant Charlie Green hadn't noticed their digging. We'll just have to come back and have a good look in when it's light, she said with a sigh. And then they squelched back across the lawn, their trainers soaked with early morning dew. It was about halfway back that something caught the corner of Tom's eye. He glanced to his right and through the fading dawn mist for a moment, thought he saw a group of three or four moles scampering in a circle on the grass. But when he blinked, they had gone. The half-light was playing tricks on him. Cold and shivering, they returned to their beds and slept soundly. The ring of the telephone shattered the early morning calm. Hello? Oh, no, Mrs. Moon, not again. I am sorry. Yes, of course. I'll let you know if we see him. Of course. We'll call you right away. Goodbye, Mrs. Moon. As they lay in their separate bedrooms, Tom and Stella listened to their mother's conversation, each thinking how their earlier jaunt really hadn't been a dream, after all, and how, after breakfast, they must continue their search for Harry. Chapter 4 The Secret Lake By 10 o'clock, Tom and Stella were back at the mound, complete with picnic lunch boxes. Stella, who was plugged into her iPhone music as usual, 
had brought a pocket torch for looking inside the bushes. For the first time in three weeks, she also had a broad smile on her face. Tom had his red birthday binoculars slung around his neck, his digging trail in one hand, and his treasure rag stuffed in his pocket. Right, we're going to have to have a good look inside this bush, said Stella. She got down and crawled on all fours in the rhododendron bush that Harry had appeared from the morning before. Tom quickly surveyed the garden with his binoculars to see if Charlie Green was about. Coast clear, coming in, he shouted, and then immediately spotted something moving in the shade of one of the distant trees. Were those moles again? He refocused the binoculars to get a better look, but there was nothing there. I think I'm going bonkers, he mumbled under his breath. Then he scrambled in after his sister yelling, ouch, every second, few seconds as the binoculars thumped against his knees. Tom, be quiet, snarled Stella after the fourth. Do you want someone to hear us? As they crawled deeper inside the thicket, she switched on her tiny torch, which shone a narrow beam of light ahead through the dark. Nothing. Only twigs. More twigs. Green leaves, dead leaves, rotten flower heads. Ugh. Creepy crawlies scuttling back and forth across the undergrowth. The leaves brushing on Stella's hair suddenly gave her the shivers. There's nothing here, Tom, she said, dusting imaginary beetles from the top of her head. Let's go back. Tom had just begun to maneuver himself around on the spot, twigs scratching at him from all sides when his arms slipped down a hole so deep that on one side he was suddenly up to his shoulders in undergrowth. Hey, he bellowed, I found a hole. Stella quickly crawled over and pulled him up, then pointed her torch to investigate. The hole was far wider than either of them could believe. Yikes, Tom, lucky you didn't fall right in, she whispered. Stella shone the torch down into the darkness. Well, it's too big for a rabbit hole, she said, flickering the beam light up and down the inside wall. Look, shrieked Tom, so suddenly that they both crashed backwards into the undergrowth. Stella sighed angrily, then leaned forward and held the beam of light still against the wall. To her astonishment, she could clearly see what Tom had spotted and she had nearly missed a rusty metal ladder fixed against an earthen wall and leading down into a hole. Shall we go down, said Tom, after they had both stared at the ladder for a minute? Stella didn't answer. Instead, she took out a lime green polo. Do you think the boat would fit down there, she said suddenly. They both stared at the hole again. You're mad, said Tom. Stella popped the polo into her mouth and grinned, as her ears started tingling. Well, then I suppose we'll just have to go down on our own, won't we? Being the oldest and the largest, Stella went first, grasping tightly onto the rusty rungs and holding her torch between her teeth. Tom followed, awkwardly clutching his trowel and not daring to look down. His binoculars were slung across him like a satchel. You okay, Tom? Stella's strange whisper, on account of the torch in her mouth, echoed eerily up the hole, like a toothless ghost's. Fine, he lied in a squeak. Stella had been counting each step as she descended. When she reached 18, she stopped, took the torch from her mouth, and called up. Hey, Tom, 
I just realized Harry wouldn't have been able to get down here on his own. That's just what I was thinking, said Tom. Weird. Stella, meanwhile, had dangled one foot down, but couldn't feel any more rungs below her. I think we've reached the end, she called, continuing to splay her leg out in the darkness like a tentacle. Suddenly, her foot hit something hard and wide that she was able to rest on. As she pointed her torch down, a teeny beam of light bounced off what looked like the branch of a tree. And then she saw that the wall of the tunnel below the last rung was no longer earthen. It looked like tree bark. Tom, I think we found an underground tree, she yelled. Carefully, she let go of the last rung of the ladder and grasped a couple of short nodules that were sticking out like giant nail ends from the bark. Dangling one of her feet still lower, she found another branch to rest on. Soon she discovered there were nodules protruding from all over the place between the branches, making it easy to keep climbing down. Follow me, it's okay, she called. Neither of them had noticed, but the surrounding darkness was turning dim gray. After they had descended a little farther, Stella stopped. I don't believe this, Tom. We're coming to the outside, she shrieked. A pool of light was shining up from below, and as they continued descending, daylight began to surround them. Are we in Australia? shouted Tom, hopefully. No idea, shouted Stella, who could now hear the birds singing. The branches now began thinning out, and soon there were only the nodules of the tree trunk left to step and grasp onto. The sun-drenched grass below looked soft, so Stella jumped the final couple of meters down. Then, as she raised herself from the ground, brushing earth and tiny stones from her knees, she looked up to see the most beautiful lake surrounded by crimson pink flowering bushes stretching away in front of her. Thud. Tom, complete with binoculars and trowel, landed beside her. Told you there was water nearby, said Stella triumphantly, pointing at the lake. Tom, still breathless, clapped his binoculars to his eyes. Where on earth are we? he whispered, scanning left to right, trying to see beyond the trees on the far side. Suddenly, he fixed on something moving on the lake. Look at that, Stell. My goodness, she murmured. About halfway across the lake, a boy in a small boat was rowing frantically in their direction. Stella snatched the binoculars from Tom to get a closer look, almost throttling him. The boy in the boat didn't see them at first because his back was square onto them as he rowed. However, as he drew closer, he turned and spotted them. As soon as he hit the bank, he clambered out and began to pull the boat high up in the direction of the tree. Give us a hand with this, will ya? Tom and Stella, who had only been able to stand and gop, stepped obediently forward and helped him pull the boat right up under the tree. They were speechless and all the time couldn't take their eyes off his dirt-smudged face, his ragged brown suit, with half-length trousers and his filthy lace-up ankle boots. Now don't you go telling on me, will you? You never saw me, right? He growled. Despite the snarl, the boy looked terrified. Stella and Tom shook their heads and then stood in silence as he dashed into the woodland behind. 
Where did he come from? whispered Tom. More to the point, where is he going? said Stella. Did you see the clothes he was wearing? Tom started snickering. Stella, meanwhile, was staring out across the lake to the far bank in the front of the woods where there was a little opening. Quick, give me those binoculars back. Tom passed them over and Stella clapped them to her eyes. What is it? Oh no, it's nothing, Stella said vacantly. But then as she passed the binoculars black, she squinted across the lake again. Funny though, I could have sworn I saw some moles just then. Moles don't come out in the daytime, silly, said Tom. Trees don't go underground, retorted Stella. Now come on, let's row over. Chapter 5, The Children in the Garden The boat slid easily back down the bank, and Stella held it steady as Tom clambered in. One or each, she commanded, climbing in after him. Tom took the left and Stella the right. Their recent family trip to the Bodine Lake in Hyde Park quickly paid off, and they soon worked up a rhythm. Where do you think we are, Stell? Tom was marveling at the deep crimson reflection in the water, which shattered into pieces as the oars smashed down into them. I haven't the faintest idea, she said, but we'll soon find out. This is the best fun I've had since our first day in Hong Kong. Hannah will never believe it. All the time, Stella was looking over her shoulder, watching the distant bank draw closer. Nearly there, the oars were starting to feel very heavy, and at two meters from the bank, they stopped rowing and let the boat drift slowly in. Stella's heart raced, and they clambered out and pulled the boat clear of the water. Whatever lay beyond was blocked from view by a small wood but she had already caught the sound of the children's voices in, on the breeze. A narrow path had been cut through the trees, but she decided it was not safe to use it. Follow me, Stella struck into the woods like a sergeant major. Tom pursued, his trowel clutched at his chest, ready for combat. The cool of the woods brought welcome relief. They had both worked up a sweat and Tom's mouth was parched. Crack, crackle, snap. They continued walking for several minutes. Finally, a curtain of light ahead indicated a clearing. We're nearly through, Stella whispered. I'm thirsty, said Tom. Shh. Stella stopped suddenly and at the sound of children's chatter floated towards them from somewhere beyond the clearing ahead. She frowned, then nodded them on. The chatter continued as they crept out through the edge of the wood and into the sunlight. There are children through there, she whispered, pointing through the rhododendron bush. Tom knelt beside Stella and peered through. Beyond a cluster of tree trunks, he spotted two young girls sitting on the lawn with a lady wearing a hat tied under her chin. Judging by how strangely they were dressed, the children looked as though they might be going to a fancy dress party. Look, there's Harry, shouted Tom, jumping up. Harry was streaking across the lawn towards the children and the lady. There you are, Harry, called the smaller girl. Who was that, demanded the older one, looking around. You stupid idiot, they heard us. Stella snapped in a whisper. Harry, on hearing Tom's voice, sped past the children and came hurtling through the trees, yapping loudly. Harry, boy, 
Tom tried to catch the tip of the dog's wagging tail, one of Harry's favorite games, and began having so much fun trying to outwit him, he didn't notice Stella's sudden silence. Hey, Still, now we know where he, he goes to. Tom looked up, but Stella wasn't listening. Instead, she was standing face to face with two girls dressed in bright purple party dresses, complete with embroidered patterns around the neckline and white lace trim at the knee. The girls, who both had beautifully groomed hair, one blonde and one dark, falling in ringlets to their shoulders and decorated with matching purple ribbons, couldn't take their eyes off Stella, who, by contrast, looked quite a sight in her sky-blue t-shirt, cropped skinny jeans, and bright blue trainers. Tom picked up a stick and threw it. Harry ran off again. Who are you? demanded the taller in a grand voice. She was clearly the older of the two, and her blonde ringlets glistened importantly in the afternoon sun. And what's more, how do you know Harry? Stella didn't answer. Instead, she fixed her stare on the girl's black woolen tights and shiny black shoes. How strange that they would should be wearing clothes like that on a day like this in the park. Perhaps they were royalty, maybe lost princesses or something. Suddenly, a woman's voice was calling, Sophia, Emma, come on now. There's good girls. We must finish your lesson before tea. Lesson, said Tom indignantly. Why are you having lessons on a school holiday? What are you talking about, stupid boy? snapped the blonde-haired girl. The dark-haired girl, who looked friendlier and was obviously her sister, edged forward and smiled. Her large brown eyes sparkled with enthusiasm. Mama says the more we learn when we're young, the better off we'll be in society. At that moment, the rhododendron bush trembled violently, and the woman with the hat burst into the clearing. Stella and Tom's eyes drew like magnets onto her long-sleeved dark green dress that swept across the ground like a curtain and which squeezed her waist so tight it looked as if she must hold her breath in permanently. My goodness, who have we here? She asked gently. A girl in trousers? Well, I thought I'd seen it all. Tom frowned and clutched tightly onto his trowel. What's your name? Blurted out the dark-haired younger girl, smiling at Stella. Emma, dear, it's rude to ask someone's name without introducing yourself first said the lady. Sorry, Miss Walker. She turned to Stella again with a friendly smile. How do you do? My name is Emma Gladstone. I am 10. And that is my sister, Sophie. She's 12. What's your name, please? Stella shook her bedraggled blonde hair off her face. She was determined not to appear nervous. Stella, I'm 11, and this is my brother, Tom. He's eight. I'll be 11 quite soon, said Emma. Not for another month, actually, sneered Sophie. That's quite enough, Sophie, said Miss Walker. She crouched down in front of Tom and Stella. But dears, where are you from? Is your mama or papa here with you? Stella felt her cheeks start to burn and began to get a sick feeling in her tummy. She gripped her right wrist, feeling with her numb feeling with her thumb for her friendship bracelet, but it wasn't there. 
Why are you wearing those funny clothes, demanded Sophie. And what's that thing? She was pointing at Stella's iPhone, which was poking out of her jean pocket. Miss Walker stood up and rounded on her. Sophie, this is your last warning for rudeness. I really don't want to have to tell your mama. I know, shrieked Emma suddenly, jumping with delight. You're my best friend Lucy Cuthbertson's cousins from Australia, aren't you? Your father was the governor, wasn't he? She told me you were moving back. She eyed them hopefully as everyone paused for thought. Tom started to open his mouth, but something stirred in Stella. That's right, she cut in. Then she delivered Tom such a piercing glare that he swallowed his words on the spot. Chapter 6, The Boy Thief Oh, well, now, how exciting. Do come and have a cool drink with us, said Miss Walker. At the mention of fluid, Tom perked up again. I'm sure the girls would love to hear all about Australia. Do you have a governess over there? They all trooped out onto the lawn. A governess? Oh, yes, Stella fixed another glare on Tom. Tom, his thoughts focused on cold juice, nodded solemnly. As they all helped Miss Walker move the rug and pile of leather-bound books onto the shade of a tree, Stella found herself glancing at the row of houses on the far side of the lawn. Is there something wrong? said Sophie suddenly. Hey, there's our house, shouted Tom, pointing. What are you talking about, said Sophie. That's our house. Stella laughed and quickly shook her head. Don't be silly, Tom. Our house is in Australia. She then clenched her teeth and gave poor Tom such a fierce look he thought he would burst into tears. So Australia, Miss Walker smiled as she handed round glasses of fruit juice poured from a jug under the tree. What's it really like over there? Tom looked at the ground in bewilderness. Stella felt her cheeks start to burn again. Try as she might, all she could picture was the shape of Australia which she knew resembled a dog's head. Well, she faltered, as an image of the Sydney Opera House popped uninvited into her head, just as shouts came sailing across the lawn from the direction of the houses. They all looked up to see a man in a dark uniform and hat running towards them, closely followed by another man wearing rolled-up shirt sleeves and braces. A little further behind came an elegant blonde-haired lady in a long yellow skirt and beautiful white blouse. You're right, miss, wheezed the man in the uniform looking all around. Mrs. Walker, Ms. Walker stood up in a fluster. Only there's been another theft, Crawley. Er saw a young ruffian in the garden, but he got away. Looks like he's run off with some silver. Miss Gladstone's coin purse is missing too. She's in a right state. The man called Crawley arrived, panting. He immediately narrowed his dark eyes at Tom. A good beaten, that's what he'll get when I catch him. Tom felt his stomach twist in a knot. Finally, the beautiful woman caught up. Sophie, Emma, thank goodness, are you all right? Mama shrieked Emma, jumping with up with Sophie. Sophie and Emma's mother flung her arms around her two children while Stella marveled at her flowing skirt and elaborate hair arrangement. The man in the dark uniform glanced down at Tom and Stella and then back at Miss Walker. 
It's a young lad we're after, about this one's age. He eyed Tom again. Tom swallowed hard and tried to look angelic. My goodness, who are these children, Miss Walker? said Mrs. Gladstone. Immediately, she freed Sophie and Emma from her grasp. They're Lucy Cuthbertson's cousins from Australia, and I guessed first, said Emma triumphantly. She told me they might be coming. I didn't know it would be so soon. Well, I never. I've never seen anything like it in my life, said Mrs. Gladstone, peering down her nose. If that's how they dress their children in Australia, then all I can say is, look, I'm sorry to interrupt, ma'am, but if we want to catch this thief, oh yes, of course, do carry on, constable. The policeman, for it was now obvious that this was what the man in the uniform was, knelt down. Now, this is important, and especially for you nippers. He looked at each of the children in turn, as if trying to see inside their tiny minds. Did any of you see a boy in the gardens in the last hour? Looks kind of scruffy, tatty brown clothes. Tom leaned forward, about to say something, then felt, Stella's sharp finger in his ribs. The children solemnly shook their heads in turn as the policeman counted around them again. Looks like he'll probably be got away, he grumbled, standing up. Mrs. Gladstone gathered up her skirt and shot a cold glance at Miss Walker. Children, I'd like you to inside, please, she said. I've never did have much to say for studying in the garden, and we can't have you out here with the ruffian roaming the grounds, can we? The children's faces dropped, so Stella noticed, did Miss Walker's. Constable, I count on you to give a place a thorough search twice over. Crawley, you go too. Yes, ma'am. Crawley bowed his head. The policeman delivered Mrs. Gladstone an icy smile, then headed off to the gardens with Crawley in his wake. Well, now, what are you two waiting for, snapped Miss Gladstone. Tom and Stella scrambled to their feet. Go on, then. Off you go. Back to Lucy's. And if I were you, I'd ask that mother of hers to lend you some half-decent clothes. You certainly can't be seen out in London dressed like that. Constance Gladstone then turned and marched off across the lawn with her children and the governess trotting behind like sorry puppies. <laughs>